millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Another episode of Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and wherever you are in the world, it's great to have you with us. On today's episode, I'm joined by two fabulous authors who'll be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on in our Book Off. We'll find out what books they'll be championing a little later on. But first, Let's meet them. My first guest is an award-winning journalist and author. She's published two non-fiction books, How to Be a Grown-Up and The Sisterhood, and has written features and opinion pieces for every major national newspaper and magazine in the UK. Count them up if you don't believe me. She's also the host of the chart-topping literary interview podcast, Your Booked, which we are huge fans of here on Book Off. I am, of course, talking about Daisy Buchanan. Hello and welcome to Book Off. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am feeling competitive. I'm very confident about my book. <laughs> oh well, that is that is good. Uh, and that uh, that slightly nervous uh oh is the voice of my second <laughs> guest, who is an award-winning novelist and screenwriter. Her novel Animals has been adapted into a film for which she wrote the screenplay, and she also writes for television and many magazines. Here to tell us more about her latest novel, Adults, it's Emma Jane Unsworth. Hello to you. Hello, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Daisy, I'm slightly terrified you kicked off with that. I mean, dude, it's like straight away we're getting in there. It's like, give me a chance. I, I think it's going to be like wrestling where, you know, it is <laughs> pretend, but I'm wrestling. all about the showboating. <laughs> Do you think it's a tactic, Emma? She's psyching me out. She's psyching right, me out. Yeah, she's psyching you out. Is yeah, it. Yeah. I'm on to her. <laughs> now, I know it's, it's so lovely to have you both on Book Off, and I know that it's only been about 10 hours since you last spoke. I hope that there's, that means there's still some, some conversation to be had today. I can never, I'm insatiable when it comes to Daisy. Oh, very oh, good. Nice very done. good. Yeah. You like that? You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's why they pay me the We have list. been talking quite a lot about sex, so um, I don't know if I'm, now I've got your attention. Um, I'm sure we can, but there are other things to talk about, apparently, like, like books. Oh, well, they're, they're sort of secondary to sex, really, on this podcast, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> Um, (laughs) We are going to talk about what you've been reading recently. We are, of course, going to have the book off a little later, uh, which Daisy is obviously already geared up to do. uh, And you'll be pitching us a book that you love and think we should all read. First, though, I do want to discuss your two brilliant new novels that have just been published. And um, Daisy, you, you were saying just before we started this podcast that, you know, you, you were, had a bit of a sleepless night because you were worried about your appearance on Woman's Hour, weren't you? Yes, um, there was a possibility that, um, in terms of the language we can use here, may I speak freely or you, should I speak euphemistically? I would encourage you to speak freely. There was a very slight chance that I might have had to say pussy on Woman's Hour while reading a passage from my book. Happily, the BBC deemed it too rude and so (laughs) the extract was slightly cleaner. Although I was um, astonished because the the cleaner extract um, still made it into the sun. Um, My friend Bryony sent me a text this morning um, of the page where it's a little picture of me and it says, Raunch, author Daisy, Radio 4, fans get hump at (laughs) Sextracts. 
haven't you always wanted to have your picture in the paper with the word raunch next to it? I yeah, have. Yeah, and also I was so excited about being a raunch author that it was only later I was like, sex tracts, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, I think one person tweeted to say, I'm trying to homeschool in the kitchen and they said nipple on Radio 4. But... <laughs> It's a biology lesson. It doesn't take much to rile that uh, women's hour audience. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh well, I, I'm sort of glad. I'm glad that you you didn't have to say that word, and therefore you know you you didn't have that slight fear of I don't know your family listening uh, and and thinking what's she on about. But equally, I'm glad that you managed to make the Sun newspaper. It's all it's a win win as far as I'm concerned. I'm delighted. I was thinking about you know whether I could somehow hire a I don't know if you can hire local burglars sort of to take not to take any humans out but to take the radio out to go around and to steal all the audio from my parents <laughs> house so they're lovely and supportive and we're just not sort of not mentioning it which is oh yeah Daisy's done another book hey! and um leaving it at that <laughs> do you know if do you know if they've read it then or not uh they have not read it and I'm discouraging them from it and I think they they're happy to be discouraged um I've got five little sisters and they've all no most of them have read it and been really really um enthusiastic in fact they were sort of some of the first um you know to give me feedback um and some of them you know give me brilliant ideas and some of them are good on um you know spelling and grammar and sort of missed apostrophes and things <laughs> that's quite handy uh, and we're talking about insatiable and for anyone listening who who doesn't know about this book yet daisy um we will talk about it very shortly and sort of all will be revealed perhaps about why your parents haven't read it but um, well, Emma, hey. we'll uh, we'll talk about adults um <laughs> which is your new novel tell us about jenny mclean and and, and the, the sort of star of this new book Oh, she's a nightmare. I mean, she's she's absolute a, nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Um, yeah, she's obsessed with social media and how she's coming across on there, and she analyzes her status updates to the nth degree. Um, and her friendships are falling apart because of it. And her her relationship with her mother is, you know, well, it's never been that great, but it's it's getting worse than ever, especially because her mother's coming back on the scene. Um, but underlying it all, she is traumatised. Um, and, and the book is about her unravelling, I suppose. It's about um, her breakdown. But it's not just as serious as that sound even sounds, even though it does have dark bits, because I find lots about social media quite scary. But it's also about being in your mid-30s as a woman and the things that you feel that you might feel pressured to do with your body um, around about that time. And and lots of, yeah, um, panic and anxiety around that. But it's a comedy, ultimately, I hope. It really is. I loved it. I want to interrupt to tell you how much Thanks. I adored it. I think it's so brilliantly audaciously darkly funny and it's so masterful in the way it addresses the superficial and that Jenny's concern with the one tiny thing she can control it sort of slowly crumbles to reveal all of the things that she cannot control and you know I think she's so sort of human and I think that all of the you know the books with characters I love and yeah, she is a nightmare and but she is a very you know, a part of ourselves that we all know. And, you know, it's, we talked a little bit before um, about this sort of notion of, you know, millennial fiction and, you know, writing about women in their 20s and 30s. Well, that's all, but all the themes and issues are very much what people face and what people are up against. And I think that there are tiny bits of um, that book, uh, Francis Plug, How to Be a Public Author. I can see a bit of that in Jenny. I think it's brilliant and I think everyone should read it. I love it. Oh, thank you, Daisy. Oh well, and I, I will I will echo all of that, Emma. Thanks, um, and guys. One of the, I'll come here one, again. One of the many reasons that I loved it is because I have a um, I wouldn't say difficult uh, relationship with social media. I'll, I'll say straight out, I I, I fucking hate it. Um, oh, and I've don't got you? like I well, I just don't know if they if people do or not because sometimes I see people really embracing it, and it's like a thing that supposedly we all have to do, right? I, I'm just mm-hmm. terrible. At it. I'm just bad at it. I think. But mm. reading your book, you know, it made me think about some people that I obviously won't name, who I, I and I think it's actually quite 
damaging to mm. quite a lot of people's mental health. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, social media addiction is a real thing. And I think um, it has its uses, sure, and it has its joys. And I'm sure, especially in lockdown, it's been a lifeline for people and probably people coming mm. to, to listen to this here, largely finding out about it through social media. And it's great for things like that, for authors to, to let, pe let people who, who like their work know what's going on with their stuff. And But also, I think if you're vulnerable or fragile in your life, like, my character is it can be quite a toxic place and that's um and I have an unhealthy relationship with it and I have to really limit how I use it like I have to really say I'm not allowed on there for more than x amount of time per day and and not find myself going down the rabbit hole at 11 p.m after three glasses of wine which I may have <laughs> yeah. done in the past um so yeah I've just got to be careful with it you know because it can be it can be a rotten place it's it's almost a setup as well, social media, because it encourages you to make a grand statement and define yourself and just sort of, you know, update your status and just say, this is all, this is what I am. And in a way, it's kind of suggesting that this is, that's all you'll ever be. You've got to stand by that or you might get cancelled. And this is the thing, you know, mm -hmm. that you are. But at the same time, it wants you to keep coming back because that's the nature of the business behind it and the advertising in the industry. And so you're forced to be this definite thing, but then actually you're forced to go back and check it all the time because that's what it's making you do. So you're forced to almost question yourself and become more confused and anxious, which is the last thing we need as humans. So, yeah, I think it's a setup. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> and what do you think, Daisy? Are you, where do you sort of... Where do you fall on this on the social media scale? Do you oh, think? I think it's interesting that three glasses of wine was mentioned because I do. I think it's a lot <laughs> like alcohol, where so much fun in the short term, so so problematic in the long term. And I've been, um, you know, restraining myself as much as possible. And then um, on a Friday night, this is how cool I am. I was, going, but no, it's not, we're all staying in now, so it's fine. Um, yeah, we're all in. Nineteen nineties, yeah, no top cool of the anymore. pops repeats on BBC Four, and you know, giddily. <laughs> sort of drunk tweeting along um to this is jam hot and things but ah oh, it's mc hammer i love mc hammer i mean i do think that i saw that y'all can't stop hammer time <laughs> it is I literally saw that on top of the pops the other night <laughs> it's pretty, you think all the cool kids are watching top of the pops from 30 years ago it's like we were out together yeah. uh, i think it was and i will i'll feel that way when i when i put it on tonight um that we're all you know up in the indie disco I do think that in these unusual times, it's everything is so heightened and everything is so flattened and we're reaching for it more than ever. And we need some of what it is giving us. But it is the reason that it's complicated and the reason that we all, you know, say, oh, this makes me feel terrible and it's bad and I must stop and I mustn't do it. It's not easy to have any kind of relationship with it. Um, and yeah, certainly, you know, writers spend an awful lot of time alone in their heads and we're desperate for any sort of company while oh well, I actually don't want to speak for all writers but for me I'm really like go away come back I want you no I don't <laughs> humankind and the irresistible idea that everyone's sort of out there and but, but you know that I mean, to be honest that's why I was so so freaked out you know when my book came out yesterday and to be genuinely, genuinely like surprised that there was positivity and generosity and love because, oh, it's only a matter of time before they turn. You know, as if I was like Ava Perron <laughs> addressing the crowd. Um, but then there are moments of joy and community. Um, Twitter is at its best when you see a fox in the middle of the day and you can tell people about it. And everyone's like, very good, a fox. That's my favourite Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and just picking up on the top of the pops reruns i tell you what i work uh very closely with simon mayo who has also been a guest on this series of the podcast and i tell you what the amount of people who are taking a photo of him from the 1990s <laughs> so hosting top of the pops and sending it to him i think he's he's wishing the reruns would stop now oh can i tell <laughs> no you no one wants a photo of themselves from the 90s i mean i was rocking a very bad perm I have a literary story about Simon Mayo that I would love to share, if I may. It was Go after on. Cheltenham um, Literary Festival. I'd been on a panel talking about the anniversary edition of Valley of the Dolls, which is a book I adore. And I got sent off in a taxi. And it's also because there's a really, really lovely um, children's writer and illustrator in the taxi with me. 
and Simon Mayo. And I do not remember the name of the nice illustrator and we had good chats, but I think we were both trying to be cool. But both also go, oh my God, it's Simon Mayo. To which we tell him, does he know he's Simon Mayo? Oh my God. And then it being the festival in a very sort of giddy, boozy time, um, I was standing on the platform with this charming chap and with Simon Mayo, who was very, you know, charming as well, but also we didn't want to sort of, you know, bother him with the information that he was Simon Mayo. And that awkward waiting for a train, do we small talk, do we not? And then a, um, a drunk man, a drunk Tweedy man, who I think must have been at the festival, walked past and pinched my bottom quite hard. And, you know, we were all outraged and we didn't quite know what to do with ourselves. But Simon Mayo was incredibly, he was on the phone to his wife at the time, I think. But he was very much prepared to, you know, do something and defend my honour and seem sort of, you know, shocked and sympathetic and took it seriously. Um, and I think Quite some other right lady too. said something like, just ignore him, love. Like, well, that's not helping me, is it? So I feel no. very, very tenderly and respectfully towards Simon Mayo after oh, that good. strange old incident. Sorry, I, was say, I feel very angry towards that drunk Tweedy man. Yeah, me too. And I actually thought you were going to say Mayo hung up the phone, rolled up his sleeves and <laughs> took took that man down. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> well, he did, he sort of did. I think he was kind of about to make a move and I panicked and I didn't really, you know, it's awful. And it's a thing that women do. And you're like, mm. you know, because you sort of, it, it's such a shock as well. It's a lot like in uh, Matilda when the Trunchbull takes... Um, Gosh, what's she called? She's not Lavinia, that's um, Matilda's friend. Who's the girl that she spins with the, the pigtails oh, and throws? Um, oh. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah. Matilda's observation that, um, you know, the girl will go home and tell her parents and they just won't believe her. Mm. And I think a lot mm. of the what women especially have to put up with is it's so preposterous that even in your own head, you're like, well, that's such an awful thing to happen. Did it even really happen? You sort of gaslight yourself, especially after, you know, the coming out of that sort of and you know if you're a man in tweed in disguise um in my head is like a sort of you know fagin like oh, oh, no one will expect me the literary pincher <laughs> with my with my gloves that don't have any fingers on them <laughs> filth <laughs> um, was it amanda amanda with the pigtails that, yes, that rings a bell. I thought you meant. I don't know where that's come from. Okay, you can say in, <laughs> Sorry. in Tweed. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going between shame. Um, some awful pervert to, uh, and Matilda. It's getting all very confusing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, first, let's. Poor innocent Amanda at Cheltenham Literature Festival. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting a bad rep now. She's there at home saying, it was not me. <laughs> All right, so to, to summarise, um, I'm really sorry that happened to you, Daisy, and what a fucking arsehole. Um, Simon May is an absolute legend, and we, we all love him even more now. And um, uh, we, we're all fans of Matilda, and we can remember names still, so we're not that old. So I think that's sort of cleared all those <laughs> things up. Um, I want to come back, Emma, in a moment to talk about your book a little more. But um, we teased Insatiable, and we teased the fact that... Uh, your parents haven't read it, Daisy. So um, tell us, this is your debut novel. Tell us about Violet and, and how we find her in in this book. We meet Violet at her lowest ebb. She has very little going on. Uh, she's 26. She's broke and brokenhearted. She's just run out on her terrible sort of sub-made-in-Chelsea background character, fiancé, and... As a result of that, she has fallen out with her best friend and that loss has broken her heart and hurt her far worse and far more. She is living in an absolute shithole. She's got this glamorous sounding job for an art startup and she loves art with a great passion, but she's quickly finding that she is a very poorly paid admin assistant and they're using her enthusiasm to exploit her and to hold her back. And so she is having broken off this engagement. She has sort of assumed that her friends and family will never forgive her for all the money wasted and attention wasted. And then at an art party, she meets the incredibly glamorous Lottie, who is older and looks and seems like the polished, confident woman, Violet, hopes and dreams she might become when she grows up. And Lottie's attention lights something up in Violet and Violet becomes very susceptible and so Lottie is keen to poach her. Lottie also has 
an art startup that she's working on that seems much more successful. But also Lottie and her husband, Simon, really want to invite Violet into their lives. And they have some quite wild parties and it gets quite sexual. And Violet is feeling full of desire. She's nihilistic and she's randy and she thinks she is up for this world. And she feels like there is nothing to to no reason for her to protect herself from herself and she just wants to throw in herself into it and enjoy it and the pleasure is great but the psychological and emotional aspects of it are initially darker and more damaging than she was expecting them to be but there is a twist and there is help on hand and it comes from a surprising person and a surprising source it is a love story and um, it's all about the way that i think that we do hope and believe that when we desperately want to escape from our own lives it just takes that one encounter or that one magic person or magic group to to transform you and it's about pretension and artifice and what impresses us it's about being lonely and having no money and it's about being you know wildly horny i mean violet is so anxious and really lives in her head and sex is the only chance she has to escape that and she's reconciling the way that she, you know, is willing to be objective. You know, everyone overlooks her. She always feels, you know, grubby and, you know, she doesn't like her body and she feels like a loser and a loner. And these people are lavishing her with attention and they desire her, but also she is so, so full of physical desire herself and she has never been able to find an outlet for that um, before. But there are absolutely loads of jokes in it, I hope. Um, I really wanted to make it very, very funny because all the books I love the most are funny books. And, you know, I wanted it to be uplifting. I wanted it to be escapist. I tried to make the sex as sexy as possible. And I really hope that now more than ever, even though the life Violet is leading and all of those orgies, there is zero social distancing. But I hope that it gives <laughs> us a bit of relief and respite from the grind of these times, capital T, capital T. and allows people to have an adventure oh absolutely it does yeah i mean it's a great read it's a sexy read uh, uh, that's what i wrote down stick that on the cover a sexy read um we <laughs> i'll second that we talk about um sex on this podcast quite a lot as i mentioned at the top because what what tends to happen is you'll you'll be talking about you know in this case daisy your book but often we talk about a lot of other writers other writers that my guests love and it it comes up a lot because actually writing sex isn't the easiest thing, is it? <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I really enjoyed writing the sex. I think because there are so many writers that I admire who do it well. And I think the ones I love the most, there is an element of escapism. You know, it, it goes better. I was reading, I won't name it, but I was reading a book recently and there's quite a jarring sex scene. And I almost felt as though the trouble with, with it was the writer and it's not a writer I've ever 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 met and I think the book came out a while ago um and it's not a, a widely known book but it was almost as though the writer wanted to make clear I'm putting this in to be brave and literary but I'm not getting off on it I'm not you know <laughs> I'm not a pervert who likes reading about sex but I must describe it and I'm like no I, th I think writers need to be we need to be perverts we need to <laughs> we are you know we we, we cannot hope for the reader to have a lovely time unless we're writing something that we might enjoy quite right um i'm gonna make a sweeping statement but i stick by it here i think i think female authors write sex better than male authors i wonder whether it's to do with being in a body and by and large if you are socialized and raised as a woman you are constantly made to feel aware of the limitations of your body, how how others see it, how you're supposed to see it, what it might be. It's a real, real cage. And I think to have any kind of happy sex life, you've got to break the cage open and relearn how to feel from the outside in and learn so much about the difference between thinking and feeling and, you know, what's chilling and what's really sad about the... Um, and I, I don't know. This this isn't fair. I've never had sex with Morrissey. I couldn't tell you. But I worry that the um, male authors who 
arguably write sex less successfully with the caveat that it's hugely subjective, you know, don't yuck someone's yum. It might not be my thing, but it might be for you. But whether it's because the, you know, men and sex and, and I think it's, you know, the uh, partly what I really, really hope comes out of Insatiable is I want it to be a celebration and exploration of women and desire. I want it to kind of, you know, blow that conversation wide open. There are so many brilliant books that came, you know, after, long after I sort of started writing it and it's, you know, it existed. Um, books like, you know, The Amazing Three Women, Lisa Tadeo, um, The Pisces by Melissa Broder, which is a book I adore. Emma Jane's brilliant, brilliant books, obviously. Um, you know, there is there is some sexy sex in, in animals and in adults, and I'm a huge fan of that. But does feel like you know a moment that's been long overdue but I also think that we do it's weird that we are as a society sex focused but not at all sex positive and you know I think that's whoever you are and whoever you're having sex with to be very um heteronormative I think people are going to get very cross with me for using the word heteronormative on a podcast because it's um you know a little bit guardian but so am I you know I I think this is a conversation that's going to benefit everyone in terms of the the breadth and the sense of possibility and the sense of imagination and that hopefully men and women will kind of embrace the weird and wild and I was going to say wide but perhaps I shouldn't say that (laughs) (laughs) and I've just thought of an anthology we can put together all three of us called Unsuccessful, which is where we take Ooh. some of the worst written sex uh, out of literature and put it in a collection. So there we go. We'll put, put a pin in that for very another good. time. Genius. Um, I have great <laughs> expectations for it. Very good. Here we go. Um, Emma, can I come back to, to talk about adults briefly? Because I've got a bit of a Peter Pan thing going on, and I don't mean I wear green or look young. It's just I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever wanted to grow up. <laughs> and I wonder... If other like if others and specifically you ever really feel like we're adults ever in some ways yes and in some ways no um I mean I don't really know what it means I guess what what it comes to mean in the book is uh, sort of being able to be a mother to yourself and to your friends or, or not even gender specific you know to to parent, to be able to look after and take responsibility for yourself and the people around you and not just being a parent, having to be a biological thing, which, you know, isn't right for everyone, isn't accessible for everyone, isn't what, you know, everyone's desire. And yet I think we're very pushed to feel like being a parent is the only way to give your life value sometimes, you know, and and I think that's absolute nonsense. And I think that there's, that's really dangerous for uh, feminism and and it and it doesn't serve anyone particularly well and it sets up this terrible binary of kind of mothers and non-mothers and pits women against each other which is awful um and and so so yeah so jenny's journey really is is going from this this point where she feels betrayed by her body to a point where she feels back in love with her body and 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 doesn't feel like it has to do certain things that she's felt pressured for it to do like have a baby so yeah so I does that answer your question or have I just waggled around Not, it? no you've absolutely answered it I, I love no that's sort of what I was after you, there's no been no waggling <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I mean I do I feel grown up I think I feel like I sort of came of age if you like when I was 25 and in some ways I'm still that person and in in other ways I'm not I'd hope Um, but I think the whole coming of age thing is a bit of a myth anyway or rather I think it's not something that happens once in your life you know I think we come of age over and over and over in that something big happens to us and it makes us reassess our values and our boundaries and where we're going to move forward on from that and and I guess I always write coming of age stories in a way, arguably every novel is a coming of age story or a lot or a lot of them are, um, you know, on that basis. And, and I think that, that yeah, I'm just really interested in, in those moments of growth rather than, than a, always a growing up, but just, you know, a moment of, of growth, a growth spurt for, for a person. I think that's what we're all interested in. We're interested in for ourselves quite often too. Yeah. And just going back to, to tie in with that, social media chat earlier and your story and character you know I think 
it's funny that some, sometimes I feel like a granddad, you know, when I, when my back hurts or I like I just want to be in my slippers, you know, or watching Top of the Pops repeats on a Friday night. But there's this sort of so, sometimes I feel like people post, and I, this, I'm just I'm not having a go at anyone who's posting pictures of the new flat or house that they've just bought or the new sort of table that they've just bought or whatever it, you know, they're they're excited about it, they're sharing it, but there is. I think quite a lot of like, oh, this is what being an adult is, and this is what to be, to be sort of like a, a normal human being in your thirties or your forties. You know, you you have a partner, and you you buy a place, and you buy furniture. That's what you do. And I just I just don't I just think oh, fuck all that. Like you know, like it. I don't I, I don't care. I don't I don't need to own a table. I mean, you know, but I, know. I think it's all, yeah. There's a pressure though. No, I think. Yeah, it's all very mm. house porny, isn't it? It's all like, oh, it's got to be to do with stuff you buy for your house to make your house look nice. And sure, if that's your that's your bag, then then go for it. But but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I, I do find that quite depressing and very capitalist, if I may say mm. such a word on a podcast. There's a, to interrupt, there's a book I really, really love, Out of Time by Miranda Sawyer. And she has the theory that there was literally a day the music died that once upon a time everything was youth culture because Saturday morning telly was always you know live and kicking the chart show CD UK you know all you know it was all new and exciting and vibrant and now you know to do a sort of cable TV and there being so much choice it's all everything's been moved and all that Saturday morning telly it's now cooking shows and like let's make lovely oak smoked salmon on a plank <laughs> and I think her theory is and I completely agree that there's a sort of you know generation of kind of young fogies like I love with all my heart and um, the off menu podcast I'm a super fan but I think the way that James Acaster and Ed Gamble talk about food and they I think they do it with such sensitivity and passion enthusiasm and wit but you know, when you think about the sort of, and you know, because they're not horribly laddish, and there was lots of sort of 90s lad culture that sat uncomfortably with me, but it is, it's weird that it once upon a time, it was all like, you know, lads, pints, shag, clubs, and now it's like, oh, <laughs> I had the most delicious burned ends at this speciality <laughs> barbecue place. Young fogies, I really like that. I mean, yeah, I love just... that term. Oh. <laughs> I definitely nicked it from someone. That's, that's my biggest fear about you know, publication writing is someone <laughs> just going through a bill. Oh, yes, every, every single line here, you've just been in your head and you've stolen <laughs> from someone else. Well, it's all right. There are about seven people who claim they invented the word Britpop. So, I mean, it, it just happens. <laughs> um, we're going to do the book off very shortly where each of you is going to get three minutes to tell us about a book you absolutely love that you think everyone should read. Just before we do that, I always love to ask my guests what they've been reading recently and if there's any recommendations they have. So, Daisy, have you have you been reading? I, I imagine you read a lot all the time. And is there anything that's, that's stuck out recently? I do reach for books for soothing and distracting purposes always. When I'm really, really, really struggling, I always reach for Anne Lamott and I was rereading Bird by Bird, um, which is just full, it's advice for writing in life and it really is. I think even if you hate writing and never want to do it, it will bring you such comfort and perspective in terms of and again it's I think really really wise she doesn't write about social media but everything she says about the validation we we seek and crave is applicable um, I also want to mention a book that came out very recently that really really if you have loved um, adults or you want a great companion piece to read with adults and to some extent with insatiable um, Nell Frizzell's The Panic Years her memoir non-fiction investigation about women and whether or not to have kids and how that decision is so hard for all the reasons that Emma said it was hard that the amount of, of judgment that comes with that and it's it was a real I say a breath of fresh air that doesn't quite do it justice it really was like now sort of opened another room in my head it's a really kind book it's really funny the writing is beautiful I'm sure lots of people are big fans of Nell's journalism she does a really gorgeous column for Vogue she's such a a stunning writer oh and another book that I just the best 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 thing for anyone who is facing publication day and losing it it's called mortification and I believe it is compiled mm -hmm. by a Robin that's Robertson good. yes that's right and it's different anecdotes about writers facing their greatest professional shame um 
best story is the writer whose name escapes me, which I'm sorry about, very sorry, who fled to northern Italy in winter to write and to escape the announcement of the hot best new novelists of the year list. Thought he'd successfully paid no attention and avoided everything. And then as he was writing, having left instructions not to be disturbed, unless it's an emergency, his girlfriend ran in and said, oh, you've made the list, you've made the list. I was going to put this paper in the fire, but I just I just saw you. And he's scanning and he's like, I'm not mentioned. I'm not in here anywhere at all. He's like, no, 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 your picture's right there. It was Jeanette Winterson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, the agonies. <laughs> oh, my God. That's And what's that book called again? It is called Mortification and it is by Robin Robertson as fantastic compiler. oh what a fab a fab list of suggestions there daisy and, and and emma what about you what have you been reading recently or is there an author you want to sort of champion here so there's a book that's just come out called paradise block by a writer called alice ash and it's short stories wonderful short stories that are all set within the same tower block um, and the stories are just really weird in, in a good way. Um, like there's one about a, a girl who just keeps burning her eggs in a pan over and over and over. And and there's just something really that really appealed about reading it in lockdown, I think, as well, when everyone's feeling quite claustrophobic. And, but it's very it's very kind of I think it's very witchy. And by that, I mean, she she blends a lot of things together and and I and the characters are just absolutely magical and and yeah it's 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 unsettling but not but not truly disturbing it's you know it, it won't freak you out but it's um but it's just a great read and short stories are, are quite a nice thing to read um if you haven't got much time you just want to just go for, like read a quick one here and there it's a really nice dippable book and I have two young children I like so. them before bed yeah it's good to just kind of, yeah just just read a short story then you feel like a sense of completion don't you which is so rare these days <laughs> So, um, so yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, it's time now for the book off. So before we... Oh uh, <laughs> before we... I'm so stressed about this. <laughs> go into battle, as, as Daisy is... <laughs> Coming for you, Unsworth. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, before you both go into battle, we need to find out uh, what books you're putting up. And we also need to decide who goes first and second. So, um, Daisy, what book are you putting up for the book off in this episode? I am putting up Rivals by Jilly Cooper. Um, if I get any say in the matter, I'd like to go second, but I'm not sure that I do. <laughs> Is there a twinkle? Well, no, actually, you've you've sort of done the you, you've leapt in there. And you've taken charge and therefore you get to go second because I, I was going to ask you anyway, because I'm going to ask Emma um, how how she'd like to be um, wrung out at the timer. So you, you have three minutes on the clock. You don't have to use it all. But if you are still talking at the three minutes, you either get rung out by the school bell 
or you get honked out by the bicycle horn. So Emma, which which of those would you like? Okay. Well, can I just say this is not much of a consolation prize for not getting to choose whether I go first or second. I just want to put that out there. I mean, that is pretty major, getting to choose whether you go first or second, and I get to choose what noise bell. bell I think anyway. that's. I think that's the best. I think you know you get to choose the bell or the horn. Surely that's better than first that or is second, powerful. mate. No, no, mate. It's, it's well not. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm a sport, so I will choose out of those two noises. Um, what will I choose? My death knell. I will choose. It's got to be the clown clown car horn, right? The clown it's got to be that. Yeah, okay. okay. Fine. And what book are you putting up, Emma? I am putting up. The Last Werewolf by Glenn Duncan. Fantastic. Well, I put three minutes on the clock. You're up first, Emma. The clown horn is in my hand. And uh, it's over to you to tell us about The Last Werewolf. Okay. So here is something you didn't know you needed in your life. Werewolf sex. But you do. And this is why. Um, So I'm recommending The Last Werewolf by Glenn Duncan, partly because it's full of sex and well-written sex at that, which felt very on theme for today. I'm also recommending it because I think Glenn Duncan is a vastly underrated writer. He's poetic, he's philosophical, he's funny, and I think this is his best book. And if you haven't read him, then then you should start reading him. I'm also recommending it because probably no other book has inspired me as much style-wise as a writer. At sentence by sentence level, I think this book is exquisite. And no other book really inspired me as much when I was writing my novel Animals. Um, so it's a rare thing, this book. It's a well-written page turner. There's no sacrifice of language or story. There's no surrender of relish of gruesome graphic romp. And it's far more than a romp. And I actually hate the word romp. It's about love, loyalty and self-loathing as much as it's about sex, smoking and drinking. But it's also a lot about sex. It's a very sexy book. And when the sex crops up, it's done really well. And as as all writers know, as we were talking about earlier, writing about sex is hard. Um, you don't want it to be cheesy. You don't want it to be, you know, ridiculous in the way of Morris's infamous bulbous salutation. Um, nor do you, you know, you want it to be um, sort of just negative, unless it's meant to be negative, of course. But I think that, neg- that bad negative sex is easier to write than the good positive stuff. I think few writers are good at it. I think Daisy's very good at it. And I think Glenn Duncan's very good at it. To tell you a bit more about the story of The Last Werewolf, our narrator is Jake Marlowe, the last surviving werewolf on Earth, as the title might suggest. We find him erudite cynical worldly he should be he's 200 years old and he's on the run from two things woke up the world organization for the control of occult phenomena and his own bankrupt romantic nature he's the last werewolf after all he's lonely so the part of him that's resigned to fate is in the mood for some sharp sermonizing and he comments on society in a snarling slanted way that's a lot of fun um, so I, I think I'm just going to read you a little bit of it so you've got a little taste of it to finish off because it's just so good. Um, so here we are. This bit is it's the first paragraph of chapter seven, and I think it's a near perfect paragraph. So here you go. It was a long night after Madeline fell asleep around three, leaving me alone in the inaptly named small hours when so many big things happen in the heart. I lay for a while on the bathroom floor in the dark. I smoked. I went out onto the sweets roof terrace where the undisturbed fall was deep and crisp and even and looked out across the roofs of Clerkenwell. Snow makes cities look innocent again, reveals the frailty of the human gesture against the void. I thought of waking Maddie to share the scene's queer, quiet beauty and felt the impulse immediately sucked into the furnace of absurdity, where all such impulses of mine must go, accompanied by a feeling of dead hilarity. After a while, the only thing you can do with loneliness is laugh at it. So there you go. Uh, Everyone I've recommended this book to has thanked me. You don't have to be a well phantom of it. Pour yourself a stiff drink and enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love the delivery of that last line. Fantastic, Emma. (laughs) It's all about the last line. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Take a break. Take a breath. Have a cup of tea. Sweat from my brow. Okay. That was fantastic. It was magnificent. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm scared. (laughs) Now, now, you see, for all her bravado, she's wishing she went first. There you go, see. Careful what you wish for. (laughs) (laughs) So it's three minutes back on the clock for you then, Daisy, uh, to tell us about Rivals by Jilly Cooper. It has lipsticks, sex, women, men, more lipstick. Within the first few pages, there is a naked tennis match. Before that, there is a sex scene where someone quotes the Battle Hymn of the Republic mid-coitus. It has my favourite party scene of all time. And it introduced me to the beautiful poetry of Yeats, as well as the following folk poem. First of May, first of May, outdoor fucking starts today. But as usual, it do rain, so we fucks off indoors again. 
Rivals is Dilly Cooper's second rupture chronicle, picking up where Riders left off, but with a very similar cast of characters. And I think it can be read as a standalone book. I love Riders, the first one, but this I love so much more because it is Rupert Campbell Black's redemption story. RCB is the handsomest man in England. He has a cock like the post office tower. And he's a man of varied careers. Olympic gold medalist show jumper, minister for sport, and here, weirdly, pursuer of the ITV franchise. Super wealthy supervillain and RCB arch rival Tony Baddingham runs the local TV station. He is feared and reviled and has lots of intense and occasionally problematic sex with the hot chop producer Cameron Cook. Superstar interviewer Declan O'Hara is brought in to host a high profile talk show for the local channel. His very, very glamorous family moves to the Cotswolds with him and the fireworks begin. What I love about this book is Jilly's attention to detail. Every cameo character is dazzling. There's airhead Daisy Butler with her Lady Die jumpers, Charles, the boozy, gossipy, good time head of religious programming, sexy, dashing Baz, who runs the local wine bar where everyone goes to plot, Valerie, the newly rich owner of the local boutique whose pretensions are skewered mercilessly by Jilly. Every single one of these brilliant people could carry a novel on their own, and there are so many more. It's so, so, so cosy, and yet it's so spectacularly glamorous. It's the go-go 80s and a pitch-perfect period piece. There's a sense of absolute abundance and the book is awash with sex, booze and money, but also with love, kindness, friendship and nature writing. For example, I adore the way that Jilly characterises the sweeping foliage of Penscombe Valley as a lounging, voluptuous blonde in a book filled with actual lounging, voluptuous blondes. The action is non-stop. I had no idea the technical details of how an ITV franchise is run could be so fascinating. Everyone is having sex with everyone at a giddy, thrilling pace, but ultimately it is an uplifting love story. Rupert the Notorious Cad is redeemed so gently and believably. Jilly creates her own moral universe. Kindness is celebrated and rewarded. Pretension is punished. The book sings with references high and low, but it is so, so generous to readers. Any character who uses intellectual or social snobbery to exclude is punished. The characters that Jilly loves, celebrates and rewards are the ones who are honest and vulnerable and show really great courage going out on a limb to do what's right when they feel scared. Especially Taki O'Hara, daughter of Declan, who is the heroine of the story. She is dyslexic and struggles with it. And Jilly writes repeatedly, come for the sex, stay to fall in love. <laughs> It's it's as if you both practiced the last line, so that you knew that when you heard you heard the death knell ring, that you would like you're just going to get <laughs> it. In both there. of us delivered our last lines like with a wink and with a finger point. I feel like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like Sassy. absolute prose. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Thank you, Zazie. Thank you, Emma. Um, I am intrigued, Emma, by um, the last werewolf. I don't know it, and yet everything you said about it, I'm just like, oh, it's oh so my good. god, this sounds it's so so good, and brilliant, and I love the fact that we're just talking more about sex, and both these books are about writing good sex, and that um, Glenn Duncan, you know, I think he he must be very underrated in the sense that he, I don't know if Glenn's had the sort of um recognition absolutely that he should not. have he's absolutely amazing if you haven't if you haven't ever read his stuff then may i urge you to because it's, it's very good in, in all kinds of ways and i love the fact that it inspired you as well i love the fact that this this novel has you know sentence by sentence i think you said has in, inspired your work and i love that i love when someone pitches a book that they have you know uh, then taken inspiration from in their own work so it sounds really great i have to say um as does the jilly cooper um i i remember having a chat with juno dawson about jilly cooper because i was involved in uh, the bbc's 100 novels that shaped our world uh, juno was part of the panel for that and she put up riders and i didn't realize i don't think at the time that that rivals was like the follow-on uh, because I'm not a Jilly Cooper expert, but I tell you what, Daisy, hearing you talk about <laughs> this book and how much is in it, the characters, the attention to detail of the characters. I, I want to read about a naked tennis match in the first few pages of a book, very much so. I want to read about lipstick, sex and men. I do. Um, I, I also want to read about sort of nat- a, a strange nature writing that that also relates to the characters in the book i mean there's just so much to go out there and um i mean i do i keep coming back to jilly because she really is just she's so sort of fulsome and so generous and gives you so much and i think that the reason that the warmth of the sex is in such evidence you know because she loves 
nature and she loves gloss. She loves it all. It's really, again, it's, I think it's it's cosy because you, I feel so, so safe and happy when I read those books, but also that my senses are being delighted in every way possible. Yes. Well, from the pitch, it sounds like senses would be delighted in every way possible. I mean, it sounds like it's crammed full. Um, I absolutely love both of those pictures and, and, and the sound of both of these books. Um, based on those, though, I am going to take... Oh, it's a tough one. I'm going to take home Jilly Cooper. Hey! She came here with a purpose and she has <laughs> delivered, Well Emma. done, Daisy. It was a great pitch. It was a great pitch, but so was yours. And I have to say, Glenn Duncan is now on the map. I'm going Good. to be going and checking out some of his work. That, and, and I'm going to start with The Last Werewolf, honestly, because it sounds batshitly brilliant. <laughs> I <laughs> cannot wait, right, wait to read Glenn Duncan. And that you read it so beautifully. And it sounds like such a gorgeous book. And Do you know, I think you'd love it, Daisy. I think you, you'd love it. It's Yeah, it's not just for like... The werewolf thing is great and it's a big element, but it's just so gorgeously written. And all the senses, if you like that about Julie Cooper, then, you know, you will really like that about Glenn Duncan's writing because it is all the senses are involved like a sense of smell which we don't you don't read a lot of writers who write about the sense of smell very much and and he really does it's great oh so excited now do you feel like with Jilly you are bringing a gun to a knife fight you know she is an icon <laughs> and I love her and it seems it's not really on is it to let anyone else win she's, well, she's I... a dame in every sense she is a dame in every sense. And I tell you what, the people have brought Pulitzer Prize winners to this book off and they haven't won. So, it, you know, it just depends. Depends on how you sell it. Um, Insatiable by Daisy Buchanan is out now. It's published by Sphere. And Adults by Emma Jane Unsworth is also out now, published by the Borough Press. And these two books belong in your hands and then on your shelves because they are absolutely fabulous. Daisy, Emma, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I really enjoyed reading your novels and I wish you all the best for them and for oh, all the future so books to come. Joe, I had such a brilliant, brilliant time. Thank and you, Joe. It's been a real pleasure. Emma, thank you for being the most fun. I don't think there's anyone I would rather have done this with. <laughs> likewise, <laughs> likewise. <laughs> oh, take care, guys. Hope we can be in the same room soon and enjoy a glass or two. Ah, oh, the dream. Oh, that sounds good. Actual Me too. Dream. And Me too. Uh, maybe a top of the pops repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.